Amen. Uh, Cynthia and I want to thank all of you for the opportunity to be here to encourage the church this morning or this afternoon. Uh, we have so many uh, people here that we are close to, indebted to, and it's an honor to be here. I'm sorry that uh, it is Lauren and Kosi's last service. I was hoping I could come and say the whole thing has been a hoax, <laughs> that it's, it's just been one big uh, joke, but uh, unfortunately it is reality, and uh, they'll be moving to sunny Florida, uh, which in a good way gives us an excuse to go to the sunny land of, of uh, more often uh, if they'll have us. So we'll see how all that works out. But thank you so much for taking care of them. Uh, it's, it's a blessing to know that they've been a part of, of such a great spiritual family and that they have so many great relationships and friendships here. I wanted to uh, talk about a subject that I think can help you as you move into the, the, the coming year uh, and as you strive to do greater and greater things for God uh, and giving glory to his name. So we're going to talk about the unity of the spirit today. The unity of the Spirit, and I'm going to pray in just a minute. But, you know, one of, of my prayers uh, as, as my daughters, uh, as, as I wanted my daughters to get married, I said, God, make sure I have a son-in-law that I'd want to spend Thanksgiving with. <laughs> and, 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 and that might seem like a small thing, but it's, it's a big thing when you've got to spend hours and hours with people. You want to at least like them. And God did bless me with that in Kosi, that we get to hang out. Uh, he likes sports. Uh, uh, he likes to eat. He likes to, to, to do a lot of the things that I like to do. And so I just praise God for answering that prayer. And I hope you too one day when your kids get married that you end up with sons and daughters-in-laws that you actually like to spend time with. So don't take that small thing for granted. Uh, we're going to talk about the unity of the Spirit. Let's pray together. Uh, God and Father in heaven, thank you for how you've moved in all of our lives to bring us together at this hour. It's not a coincidence. It's indeed the power of your Spirit and your grace and your mercy that has been evident in all of our lives. Bless our time together today. May your word speak to our hearts. May your Spirit move in our hearts that we could become the people that you created us to be, that we could build a church that can reach all of, of New York and the metropolitan area and be a light to the world. Uh, thank you for all who serve in this ministry. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, and Ephesians is known as one of the prison epistles, and, and Paul is, is, is writing from prison as he pens these words. In Ephesians 4 and verse 1, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. This is you were called the one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
And we could take the rest of the year just preaching on this one passage. Especially the part where he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's a whole series of sermons right there, but I only have time for one today. And what I want you to understand is that the Spirit of God that lives in us, the Spirit that really wrote the Scriptures, the Spirit that lives in God's church, this Spirit is not a Spirit of discord and dissension, but it's a Spirit of unity. And we have this Spirit living in us, and God wants to take people like you and me, with all of our diversity and differences and, and backgrounds, and his glory is when we can come together as one united family and get things done for God. God loves differences, but he wants us to not allow our differences to separate us, but through our differences to respect one another and to come together and to be unified. And that's where God is lifted up. Now, here Paul talks about keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What is the unity of the Spirit? Well, the unity of the Spirit is what you get when you live the fruit of the Spirit in your life. It's the result of us allowing God to work in our lives and allowing the Spirit of God to dominate our lives is what you get when men and women decide that the needs of the many are more important than the needs of the one or the few. That I'm more concerned about this church than I am about my own petty agenda. And that I would rather see the church do awesome and great and not get my way rather than get my way and others suffer. And in Galatians chapter 5, Paul outlines again. He talks about the acts of the sinful nature versus the fruit of the Spirit. And when you look at the acts of the sinful nature, a lot of what you see is divisiveness. In Galatians 5 verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. Now look at this. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. None of that's good. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's amazing to me that so much of the sinful nature deals with factions and envy and how people just don't get along with one another. And do we not need the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? He goes on and says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since then we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You know, I need more of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I need more of the fruit of the Spirit in my marriage. You know, what makes a great marriage? Well, when the husband and the wife are living out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. What makes a good family? When you live out those things, you know, love and joy and peace and, 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 and just respect, 
that that gives glory to God, and that makes your life happier. And so I want to make three quick points here as far as the, the unity of the Spirit. Because your being here today is no accident. The Spirit of God has a message for you. And there's a way that God wants to work and move in your life that maybe you've never even dreamed or thought of. There's something that God wants to get done with the people in the Lower Westchester ministry. And it's no accident. It's a plan. And the Spirit of God has been hovering since the beginning of time wanting to do something awesome to God's glory. And so if you'll just practice some of, some of what we talk about today, I think that we can give even glory, even greater glory to God and be pleasing to Him. So here are my, here are my three points as far as the unity of the Spirit today. Number one. The priority of the unity of the Spirit. Number two, the power of the unity of the Spirit. And number three, the protection of the unity of the Spirit. I'm only going to spend a little time on each of these subjects. But let's talk about the priority of the unity of the Spirit. You know, Jesus prays in John 17 a prayer that if you've read the Bible, you're probably familiar with. And in John 17, Jesus is is, is really engaged in an intense prayer. And he prays for, his, for the 12, and then he prays for all the people who would believe on the, them, who would believe on their message. And at this most critical hour, and really it's the, it's the longest recorded prayer that we have of Jesus, in verse 20 of John 17, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we're one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the, the, the desire and the heart of Jesus is that we would be one because it's, it's miraculous what can happen when people decide to be unified. And it is, it is hell on earth when people decide not to be unified. Whether it's in a church or a marriage or a family or a relationship or on the job. Are in the country. Disunity is destructive. Of all the things Jesus could have prayed for, what did he ask for? What did he pray for? Can they be one? Can the people who become Christians be one, Father? Just as you and I are one. May they be brought to complete unity. He says, because if people walk into a church building, and they see black people, and they see white people, and they see rich people, and they see poor people who are one, they're going to know that there's something different about that group. And they're going to know that this must be from God. Because this is not natural. Because this is not what you see in, in the school system. And this is not what you see on the job. And this is not what you see in the community. But if people can come to a place and they put aside their differences for the sake of my glory, then they're going to know those people must really be Christians. 
they're going to know that they're my disciples. And that's why we have to talk about this unity. It is important. Jesus wants our unity to be the thing that makes us unique in the world. You know, I've got so many fond memories of the time that Cynthia and I spent and have spent with the lower Westchester ministry. We've, we've been here on more than one occasion. And, and I'll be honest, there's some strong-willed, opinionated brothers in this ministry. But I also have to admit that some of the greatest joys I've had have been in, in, a, in a room in intense, sometimes longer than I ever had hoped for meetings with Kevin Davis and Kevin Finnerty and Dave Martin and Lonnie Phillips and Sean Bowen and Sean Murray and the quietest one of all, Derek Clay. <laughs> Just in meetings with these brothers, working it out. But you know, we did. And we became the best of friends. And we didn't agree on everything. Dave Martin and I definitely do not agree on everything. But we respect one another. And we're united in Christ. And that is where God is glorified. You know, we just can't be known just for our acapella music. You know, some people came here today, where are the instruments? Y'all can't afford some instruments. We can afford them. We just decided not to use them. You know, or, or, or other things. But we, we should be known for the fact that we don't allow our differences and opinions to keep us from being united in Christ. That's what should make us unique. How important is unity? Jesus said in Mark 3.24, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. You may get a few things done, but if you're divided, you will not get... You will not win the world for Christ, and you will not stand. How important in unity in the Corinthian church, with all their problems. We know the Corinthian church. Just read First, Second Corinthians. They had a, a multiplicity of problems, more than we can even name. Where did Paul start? First Corinthians 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. He says, we got some things to fix here. But where we got to start is with a decision to be united. A decision to be one. How important is unity? Matthew 5:23. Jesus says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Jesus says it's more important that you get connected and unified with people than it is that you go through religious motions. God is saying, I don't even want your money until you can get things right with others. He's not de-emphasizing giving. He's just saying, look, here, you just want to go on and act like everything's okay. It's not okay. Get resolved. The Bible even goes on to say, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Apply that to your marriage. Put that into practice. Don't let the sun go down, honey. We got to get this fixed. Some of us are too many sons have gone down with us not getting things fixed. Jesus says you got to get it right. You know, I was on a phone call 
with a good friend of mine, Wyndham Shaw. We were helping out another brother. And so we decided, look, we're going to have a conference call here. And, and I have many of those in my life, conference calls. And the call was supposed to last about an hour or so. hour went by. And, and the brother kept sharing things. And, you know, Wyndham is a lot more gracious and humble than I am. And then an hour and a half went by. And I was like, bro, you know, this brother's tired, you know, because Wyndham, he's going through a lot of things physically. But he hung in there. And then we reached the two-hour mark before we could even get things resolved. And that's not typical for men. We don't get on the phone and talk with other men for two hours. Definitely not my thing. But that's what we were willing to do for the sake of unity. you got to be willing to hang in there and keep working on it. Because unity is important. That's the priority. It has to be for us as disciples. Come on. we got to be unified here. And it doesn't mean that we agree on every issue. But I tell you what, I'm not walking out this room until we can get to a place where we can get on the same page and move forward. I'm not taking it home complaining to my wife and my children about how unspiritual everybody else is except for me. Because they couldn't see things the way that I saw them. And I know the Spirit of God is working in my life. It's not, it's not unity. Unity takes humility and gentleness. And it is important. Secondly, the power of unity. One of the reasons the first century church was so, had such a great impact was because of the unity. Acts 2.41 says those who accepted this message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many miraculous signs and wonders were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That's a radical statement. In other words, it was what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. Instead of what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. That's what some people feel. They shared everything. They shared, every, they shared their possessions. They shared their homes. Matter of fact, one brother even sold a home and put the money at the apostles' feet and said, use it for whatever you want to use it for. He didn't put any, uh, he, he, he didn't say, you got to use it for this or for that. His name was Barnabas. The Bible goes on and says, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why did this church grow? Why, why were people so attracted to it? Because of their unity. Because of their willingness to sacrifice for one another. I know how we are. You know, the nature of some of us is, is just to be critical. I mean, if someone says left, we say right. They say up, we say down. And what you've got to do is you've got to, look, the Spirit of God's living in me now. I can't be like that anymore. Some of us are just mean, and we know it. We're just mean people. (laughs) Difficult to deal with. But God is glorified when you put aside your emotions and say, you know what, for the sake of the kingdom, 
I've got to be willing to share and sacrifice. That's what it's all about. We live in such a divided world. Look at what happens in Acts 2. The Bible says the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. It's the fulfillment of John 17. People see that they're disciples. And the church is growing. We live in a divided nation. We can't afford to be a divided church. Just can't afford it. Man, the world that we see is filled with hatred and prejudice and bigotry all around us. We've got to be above that. We've got to leave it at the door. I'm not a Democrat. I'm a Christian. I'm not a Republican. I'm a Christian. I'm not an independent. I'm a Christian. And you can be whatever party you want to be, but leave it at the door. Because we're here for Jesus. I don't care who you vote for. Remember, you voted to make Jesus Lord of your life. That's the only vote that counts in this room. The church is to be a testimony of the power of Christ's love to break down the barriers. We break down the barriers. And here it's not black and white. It's saved. It's redeemed. It's sanctified by the blood of the Lamb. That's what we are. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. There's, no, there's neither male nor female. It's, it's, it's just Christian here. And when we get to heaven, it's not going to be in sections. It's not going to be in different neighborhoods. It's going to be one heaven. There ain't going to be no ghetto heaven and uptown heaven. It's going to be one heaven. It's not going to be like, you know, the, the brothers heaven over here and the the... the, the The Irish heaven over here is not going to be anything like that. Yes, you have a room prepared, but your room is going to be right next to somebody else who may be entirely different from you. That's where God's glorified. Come on. That's what we're about. Ephesians 2 verse 14. Ephesians 2 verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier. The dividing wall of hostility. There was such hostility between Jew and Gentile in the first century. They didn't eat together. They didn't fellowship together. They definitely did not worship together. It says, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, the church, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which Kosi just talked about, by which he put to death their hostility. What was happening on the cross? What did Jesus die for? To put to death the hostility and the prejudice that existed between Jew and Gentile. He died. The manifold wisdom of God is for Jew and Gentile to come together to be one in the same body of Christ. Diversity in the church is a sermon that preaches more than words. It's a sermon that shows the power of God to break down barriers. There's no event, there's no activity, there's no meal you can have that's more powerful than black and white coming together and being one in Christ. That's a powerful message. And you don't see it in the world today. Only about 5% of the churches in the United States are racially segregated. Five percent. The church is the most 
are integrated. The church is the most segregated major institution in America. And Sunday is the most segregated day. People work together, but on Sunday, they only go to church with people that look like them. 95% of churches are all this or all that. And I'm here to tell you, we have an opportunity to show the world the true power of the Spirit of God. We are, we are the people who can make a difference because there are people we will never reach without diversity and unity. They just won't be reached unless we can come together as one. You, you, they, they just can't see beyond it because they're blinded by their sinful nature. And that's why Jesus tells us in John 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Forty-one years ago, I walked into a church of Christ. It was predominantly white. Oh, there were about two or three older black folks over there in a corner somewhere. And I walked into that church building, and I said, you know what? They got me here. But this is my first and last visit, because these are not my people. They didn't look like me. They didn't sing like the churches that I went to, at least the few times that I went to church. (laughs) But after church, I saw something I'd never seen before. I saw the love of God. I saw men and women who cared about me and wanted to help me to know God. And it opened my heart. And do I think we still have some things to work on in the area of prejudice? Absolutely we do. We all got some. We all got something that we need to crucify, that we need to put to death. But the issue is not do we have something. The issue is are we willing to overcome it in order to cross the aisle, to cross over, to reach out and to meet one another's needs, to love one another, to consider one another better than ourselves. Really, God's not trying to take away from whatever experience you may have in life. God is not trying to make all of us be the same, except to be like Jesus. But what he wants us to do is say, yeah, man, you got a different accident than I have. And you like different food than I like and different music that I like. And you may dress differently than me. But you know what? That doesn't mean anything. Because God is glorified when we're we're united, one in spirit and heart and mind. And we don't let those things prevent us from getting God's work done. I think in this room today, we see the evidence of the power of God. I've seen it time and time again. I remember years and years ago when people like Dave Martin were reached out to. And Harry Mullen was his roommate. And I remember going to their apartment. And I went, you know what, we got some work to do here. We got some real work to do here. But look how God has blessed these guys. I mean, come on now. Is that not evidence of the, of the power of God? Look at the women that they're married. Is that not evidence of the power of God? I mean, God, God moved because their hearts were open. And let me tell you, God is just getting started, people. This is a dark hour right now. More than ever, the church has an opportunity to be a light to the world. And to show people the unity that can only exist in Christ. My last point. Let's talk about the protection. 
of the unity of the spirit. Satan knows the power of unity. He knows it. So what are his schemes? Deception, division, diversion, discouragement. He schemes to divide us. Because he knows that if we come together, he can't stop us. Isn't that what the Lord said about those building the Tower of Babel? That speak in the same language, being of the same mind, that nothing will be impossible for them. Now, unfortunately, they were building a tower to glorify themselves instead of a tower to glorify God. But if we come together as one, the devil knows he can't stop us. So what does he scheme to do? To divide, to create suspicion. He wants you to second guess me. He wants you to doubt my motives, to wonder, well, is he really sincere? You know, sometimes, you know, we try to read things about people that you can't even read. Somebody apologized. I know you apologized, but I don't think you really meant it. Who? I mean, when did you get extra sensory perception? I mean, where did that come from? I mean, sometimes people can't even get out the hole that they're in. They say they're sorry. I know he said he's sorry, but I don't know if he really meant it. How? What are you supposed to do? We got to believe what one another tells us until somebody proves otherwise. Back to Ephesians 4, verse 3. What does he say? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let me tell you, unity takes a lot of effort. Cynthia and I have been married, since August, we celebrated 35 years. 35 years. All right? All right. You, you can applaud her. You can applaud her. I'm going to tell you something. Having a unified marriage takes a lot of effort. I mean, Cynthia and I, we think very differently. And we, we still have to work at communicating. Because sometimes she doesn't understand what I mean. And oftentimes I don't, I don't understand what she means. I mean, I'm still trying to learn how women operate, brothers. I mean, they operate differently. But I tell you what, right now, after 30, and it's taken 35 years, our unity is unprecedented. Now, we haven't arrived yet, but we've made so much progress. I think we can communicate without words now. We can just look at each other and go, yep. I thought that person was crazy, too. So we we got that going on, all right? But it's taken a lot of effort because when we first started, you know, I understand that book when it says, you know, men are from Mars and women are from, like from Venus, from two different planets. I was like, I don't understand this girl. I mean, I don't understand why she does some of the things she does. I don't even understand some of the television programs that she likes. Because one of her favorite ones was Little House on the Prairie. And that's a sad show. Every episode, someone's dying. Someone's sick. Someone's just falling apart. I mean, and you cry after every, oh, God, little Joe, she didn't want And you're just like, and so I walk in there, and she's teared up, and I'm going, why? Why would you do that to yourself? Watch Predator. Watch Rambo. Watch, you know, watch something that, you know, it's like, I mean, it's like 
kill something. You know, that's what I want to watch. It's like, but we're very different. And so I know for us to be unified, I had to stop watching Little House on the Prairie. And now I know why she cried. Because this is tragic. It's just tra- one tragedy after another. But that's unity. And see, I think some of us, we try so hard to change other people. Stop it. Why? I don't need to change her. I need to learn how, as he says in Ephesians, to bear with one another in love. A part of building unity is putting up with each other. And you just can't go around criticizing everything somebody does. Why did you put that on your food? It's my food. Why does it matter to you? Don't try to control what I eat. Standing over there, why are you eating that? Because I'm hungry. Leave me alone. But we're so controlling. It's like, you know, I'm going to make you be like me. We don't need another you. We got one of you. Stop it. Unity is fragile. Be smart. I'm trying to help the men out here. Be smart. One statement, one misunderstanding, one insult, one conflict can destroy unity. One prideful leader who refuses to submit. One dissenting group. One group that decides it's going to be a little satellite out here all by itself can destroy unity. And our unity is too precious for us to allow our own will and our own preferences to stand in the way. Oh, is there conflict? Yes. Most good friends I've had conflict with. Kevin Finnerday and I have had conflict. And you know, I don't like having conflict with Kevin. It's, it's not one of my favorite experiences in life. But we've resolved it every time. Every time. And he's been honest with me, and I've been honest with him, and I appreciate that, bro. But that's what real relationships are all about. We can't fake it. Sometimes we disagree in the church. And I may be a revelation to some of you. But in the, as long as there are people in the church, there are going to be differences, and there are going to be things that we're at odds with one another about. But what we've decided is that we're not going to let our differences keep us from advancing the kingdom of God. And that we just got to work it on out to God's glory. Are you with me there? Here's my final challenge to you, my final challenge. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to challenge you to put this scripture into practice. To put it into practice in the church, to put it into practice in your marriage, to put it into practice with your roommates, to put it into practice on your job. If you put this into practice, God will be glorified and you will be a new person. Ephesians chapter 4, and really remember we started earlier where Paul is encouraging us to keep the unity of the Spirit. He ends here in Ephesians 4 verse 25. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. In other words, don't lie to one another. Tell the truth. You can't have unity where there's deceit. For we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Anger is not a sin. But failing to deal with your anger can lead to sin. 
Fits of rage. That's a sin. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He's always trying to get in the door. Always. You know, it could be something good that God wants to get done. And the devil will come in and tell you that's not good. Don't listen to him. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those who are in need. He threw that in there for some reason. Verse 29, do not, listen at this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And the church said? No, the church said, help us, Lord Jesus. (laughs) Help me. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. When the last time you disobeyed that scripture? Put this in the, memorize that scripture. Women, when you're talking to your husband, quote this scripture before anything comes out of your mouth. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit my husband who's listening. Husbands. Memorize that one. Kids, memorize that one before you go talking to your parents. We are not crazy. And, and here we are feeding you, and you ain't got a dime, and you got some negative thing you want to say. You need to memorize that scripture. <laughs> Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You ain't never bought nothing. You got so much to say. I hope I'm not talking unwholesomely right now. But only what is helpful for building others up. We need to be built up by one another. My wife needs to be built up by me. Man, she on the way over here. I said, you looking good, girl. Look at you. Fine self. Oh, man. Don't wait for a birthday. Don't wait for Christmas. Tell her today. No reason. Except that God gave you to me. Brothers need encouragement. They come up here preaching. They need encouragement. And you get insecure when you're up here. Did what I say make sense? Did it help anybody? You did good, bro. Now, if they didn't do good, don't lie. Help them out. <laughs> Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you receive for the day of, of redemption. Get rid of, what's the next word, church? What's the next word? Get rid of, say it louder. All what? Bitterness. All what? Rage, all what? Anger, all brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of all of it, he said. Sometimes we want to hold on to a little bit of sin. I deserve to hold on to this sin. I had a bad day. I deserve to step outside my Christianity for a minute and just have a bad day. No, you don't. What if God stepped out of his grace in your life? Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, forgiving each other. How? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. How does God forgive? He forgives instantly. He he forgives and he never brings it up again. When you get to heaven, God's not going to go, you know, I want to remind you of all the things you did wrong that my son had to die for for you. All 1,350,000 sins that you committed just in the year 2016. He's not going to bring it up. 
it's forgiven, it's forgotten, and it's forgiven instantly. The minute you turn to God, he wipes it out. The prodigal son on his way home, and before he could even get there, the father already forgiven. That's the heart of God. What about you? Some of us, we hold on to stuff. We're still holding on to stuff from 2003. When are you going to let it go? Making yourself miserable. And finally, Ephesians 5, verse 1, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. As God moves you forward to new journeys, to new adventures, to new challenges, he can be glorified. We can save souls. We can be a light in this dark world if each one of us will make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Prioritize unity. Remember the power of unity. Protect the unity that God's given us through Christ Jesus. God bless.